Well, we're in 2 Corinthians, working our way through the book. In chapter 8, we are tonight. Um, if you make your way to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I'm going to read verses 7 through 15. And by God's grace, we're going to unpack what's in there and enjoy it tonight. Amen. How many enjoy studying the Word? Amen. The Word of God is not something we just breeze through and read quickly and gloss over. Every part of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is packed full of Holy Spirit-inspired wisdom, pearls, and principles. There's so much stuff in there. That's one of the things as a pastor, I never fear running out of material because there's lifetimes worth of illumination in God's Word. Amen? Uh, Aren't you happy that I'm not going to run out of material? You seem happy tonight, praise God. Well, Father, we are glad to be in your presence, glad to be in the Word, glad to be in 2 Corinthians, Lord. There's so much in here for us that's relevant, Lord. So as I read it tonight, I pray that you make it come alive to us by the Holy Spirit, that you would bless the reading of your Word, and that you would illuminate and expose, do the exposition, Lord God, to show us the treasures hidden in the text for those who seek you uh, beyond the ordinary, that seek you with our whole hearts. And I pray that would be us tonight. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Second Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 7. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, speaking, knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in the love we inspired in you, see that you also excel in this gracious work. I am not saying this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love as well. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. But now finish doing also, so that just as there was willingness to desire it, so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. For if the willingness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For this is not for the relief of others and for your hardship, but but by way of equality. At this time, your abundance will serve as assistance for their need, so that their abundance also may serve as assistance for your need, so that there may be equality. As it is written, the one who hath gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. So let's stop right there. We are talking about, in case you aren't up to speed, if you haven't been here, we're talking about an offering that was taken Uh, by the Macedonian churches to give to the church in Jerusalem because they were in poverty and in turmoil. And Paul is reaffirming uh, and encouraging the Gentile church here about their beautiful willingness to give sacrificially. We talked about giving last time we were together. We talked about uh, sacrificial giving, giving according to our means. We looked at some principles of giving. So I encourage you, if you weren't here last time, we were in this text to listen to that online, get it in your spirit, powerful principles that every Christian should know, amen? Our giving is very uh, regulated by the word of God. We shouldn't give under compulsion, amen? We shouldn't be forced to give. Anybody happy about that? 
not going to take any power offerings tonight, 30-minute offerings. I know somebody has 10 cents left in their pocket, so I'm not going to give up. Some of you guys don't even know what I'm talking about. If you've been around the block, you've probably sat in some church services where they were trying to milk every last shekel they could get out of the sheep before they were completely fleeced. And if you've never experienced that, God bless you. Ignorance is bliss. I wish I was ignorant of some of the atrocities that have been committed in the church. But the truth is that giving is a touchy area because many people have abused it. Here's a church giving. Now, we said the miracle here was that this is a Gentile church, the Macedonian church, and they're giving to Jewish believers who are in need. So they're breaking down the cultural barriers, the ethnic, the ethnic barriers, the, the barrier between the Gentile and the Jew, showing that what? The body of Christ transcends all that. There are very few things in this world that trans you know, transcend the divides that we divide ourselves by. There are very few things that transcend socioeconomic boundaries and racial boundaries, but the church of Jesus Christ does, and it's the power of the church. Now, the apostle here in verse 7 continues to commend them and encourage them and understand encouragement is important. Mark Twain said he could go for months on one good compliment. I don't know about you, but I feel the same way. Sometimes, I mean, a, a real compliment, a sincere compliment, not somebody trying to manipulate you with flattering words, but a real compliment. Anybody ever get one of those? <laughs> Seen pictures, heard stories? Yeah. It's a, good, it's a good thing. And so, you know, he's complimenting them, he's commending them, he's encouraging them, and that's good. Verse 7 starts with this. It, it lists some specific spiritual gifts and attributes that the believers in Corinth excelled at. And he starts by saying, just as you excelled in everything. So he's saying, from start to finish in this matter of giving and raising up an offering and being sacrificial, you guys have really hit it out of the park. You've excelled in everything. And that's a, I mean, I don't know about you, but that kind of encouragement from an apostle who's being sincere, he's, he's not just trying to, you know, blow smoke up their tailpipe, as it were. They really did hit it out of the park. And they had the right heart, and they were, you know, they were in line with the Holy Spirit. And he's like, you guys excelled in everything. Now, we know in reality in life, none of us usually excel at everything. Anybody, anybody out there, the total package? Raise your hand now. We'll, we'll have deliverance after service. No, none of us excel at everything. We're a body. We all have different gifts. In some areas, we're strong. In some areas, we're weak. In this, in this area, in, in this situation, these guys excelled in everything. And, you know, though none of us excel in everything and none of us get it perfect all the time, anybody ever mess up? Two or three people, praise God. It's good. You know, it's good to admit that once in a while we mess up. And in this case, they didn't mess up. But we should strive to be proficient in all spiritual things, in all spiritual matters. We shouldn't just go, ah, well, I'm just weak in that area. Oh, well, you know, giving's not for me. I'm stingy. That's my spiritual gift. <laughs> Some people are like, yeah, that's my. No, that was a joke. That's not a spiritual gift. You know, we should strive to excel in all of these areas. And in this case, they did a great job, but none of us, you know, have it all together. The goal of every believer, especially the goal of every five-fold minister in the body of Christ, should be to be proverbially the, the total package, to be well-balanced and competent, solid in every area, amen? 
We shouldn't have half-converted, half-trained, half-studied people standing behind the pulpit. We shouldn't have them in the churches. Sometimes, you know, it's just amazing. People can sit in a church that teaches the word for years and never become spiritually mature. I've heard Christians that have sat in church their whole life try to articulate something from Scripture to somebody, and I'm listening in, and I'm like, man, you are way off. Are you listening to anything I say on Sunday? You know, it's like... We've got to try to be proficient. We've got to be, you have the basic doctrines. We've got to be well-versed in the word. I mean, that should be our goal. Not to be fat, dumb, and happy, and comfortable in a place where we never get challenged, where they sing our favorite songs and all the keys we can sing along with. No, that's not the point of the drill. So we should try and be the total package. We should be those who are competent and solid as we become mature Christians. 2 Timothy 2.15 says it this way. Be diligent. That means to study. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's the goal for all of us mature Christians, to understand the word, to be able to rightly divide it, to be able to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and to minister truth to a generation that's groping in the darkness. The church suffers greatly from untrained, uncalled, unethical ministers who rely on their oratory abilities or social standing or charisma, and they refuse to get trained. They refuse to humble themselves. They don't understand uh, eschatology, solid hermeneutics, or sound theology, yet they had the right voice and they could speak. We're seeing church leaders fall like dominoes again without solid doctrine, without solid moral convictions. Churches that have slowly regressed into backing away from the truth of God's word, justifying immorality, justifying sexual deviancy, justifying abortion. And then we wonder why the ministers topple because they've been rotten all along, uncalled, untrained, unethical, and the body of Christ suffers shame and damage. The final encouragement of verse 7 is that they would excel in this gracious work as well. So he's saying, you guys did it good. You knocked it out of the park. You had the right heart, the right attitude, the right execution. So excel in this gracious work as well. He's talking about giving and giving sacrificially here. Verse 8 shows the apostle giving his counsel, not the spoken word of God. Now, this is interesting here. I want you to pick up on this because Paul does this several times in his writings. If you look and study the Pauline epistles, you're going to find Paul giving his opinion sometime. Verse 8 says, I am not saying this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others, the sincerity of your love as well. Let's take a look at that. When Paul says, I'm not saying this as a command, it means something. Paul does the same kind of thing here in 1 Corinthians 7, 12. And he notes that he does it when he does it. He says this in 1 Corinthians 7, 12. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. Did you hear what he said there? He said, this is my opinion. This is not thus saith the Lord. How many think the Apostle Paul has the right to give his opinion? Amen. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I'd like to know what he thinks. But he denotes the fact that he's giving his opinion. He he denotes the fact that he's saying, this is not a commandment of the Lord. This is an apostolic opinion here, if you're interested. That's interesting, isn't it? And so he notes that he does. He says, 
but to speak to the rest, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife that believes not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. So he's using it in that instance in an unequally yoked marriage there. Not the point of our text here, but the point is that when Paul speaks in a way that's not thus saith the Lord, he denotes that it's his opinion. Paul didn't command people to give. He didn't say, thus saith the Lord, you will give, and you will give X amount, and you will give three times. No, he didn't do that. Instead, he built a case for them to give and why it was both proper and beneficial for them and the body of Christ to give. There again, giving has to be voluntary. It has to be according to our ability. Amen. You can't get, a, you can't get blood from a stone. I shared a testimony the last time we talked about this. I had a friend that was in a service and they took one of those power offerings and he gave his rent money away. And he figured, well, the Lord will bless me. You know, I, I gave it to, you know, this cause or that cause. And when the rent was due, he didn't have the money. Talk about learning a spiritual lesson. You guys look petrified out there tonight. <laughs> Just sharing the truth of God's word. I'm not gonna take a power offering. You can hold on to your wallets. This, this is to get the principles of the word into our hearts so that, you know, like many of us, I brought this out last time, many of us leave New York and move to other areas. You're going to have to look for another church. Make sure when you go to a church, they teach about giving and they teach rightly about it and they don't try to, uh, you know, they don't try to take from the people, okay? Some of you are going to leave and move. Make sure when you sit in that church, they rightly divide the word, they teach the truth, and that the leaders are in order, and that it's not all about money. I thank God that he always provides our needs here at Full Gospel Center. We don't have to beg for money. We don't have to shake people upside down. We don't have to ask for your tax returns and match them up with your giving records here. That's crazy. I don't have time for that. But Paul is showing here that sometimes he speaks and it's his opinion or it's his thoughts. And here's an instance where he is now. Leaders who have to control others, who have to fleece others, or have to manipulate others to give are, are not God-ordained leaders. A leader who can't influence others without commanding, compelling, coercing, or bullying them or pulling rank on them is not a godly leader. If I have to jump up and down and say, you need to listen to me because I'm the pastor, something's wrong with my leadership. Either that or you're a bunch of rebellious people and the ground will swallow you up soon enough. I had a lot of coffee tonight, so I, I, I don't know, I'm feeling a little frisky. But there again, I'm trying to bring out these leadership principles. Why? Because you need to be mature. You need to understand these things. And if the Lord moves you on and delivers you from this state, that you don't find yourself in a place. I hear so many people who leave and call me say, we can't find a church, we can't find a church. In your searching, make sure you hit these criteria. Good, godly, sound leaders where giving is not forced. It's done in a biblical way. Verse 9, Paul uses Jesus' coming as an illustration uh, of the sacrificial giving and kind of how it works. He says this in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. So there's the sacrifice there. Jesus was complete. He was at the Father's side. He was a member of the Trinity. He left heaven and came to earth, born as a baby in a manger. It's a little bit of a step down, isn't it? 
And that's why the text says he was rich and he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. Wow, that's a powerful thought there, a powerful illustration of Jesus's willingness to give sacrificially. Because he sacrificed his authority and his position and his comfort and his proximity to the Father, he did that for us because we were hopelessly lost and stuck in sin. We were impoverished by sin, yet he made us rich by his gracious sacrificial gift. Amen. Aren't you thankful that Jesus was willing to sacrifice? You know, he could have told the Father, no way. Because he, he's a free moral agent. He, you know, and you say, well, you know, they're gone and three per- persons. Jesus came willingly. The father didn't make him. The Romans didn't take his life from him. The Jews didn't trap him and trick him and kill him. No, he came willingly and laid his life down willingly as a sacrifice for us. And let me tell you something. If you don't think it was a sacrifice, you'll understand that it was a sacrifice the first millisecond you're in heaven, that you would leave the heavenly kingdom to come to this place. Look, I've never been to heaven, but I can guarantee you there's nobody there going, I want to come back down to earth. One millisecond in the presence of God, yet Jesus forsook all of that, humbled himself, and came down and became poor so that we could become spiritually rich. Powerful, powerful idea there. In whatever area we find ourselves rich, we should be inclined to help others who are poor in that area. Are you rich in finances? Help others. Are you rich in goods? Help others who don't. Are you rich in wisdom? Share it with people who have none. Are you rich in spirituality? Do you have a a depth and a maturity to your relationship with God? Share it with the simple. It's not enough for us to be rich and and pile up our riches and, and glory in our riches. We've got to share them with those who are poor in those areas. There's a lot of people, even in the body of Christ, that are lacking. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about a lot of lack in a lot of different areas. If we're rich in that area, let's share with others, amen? You know the greatest gift you could share with somebody is your time? Do you know there's millions of people who are lonely? They have no one to talk to, no one to listen to them, no one to fellowship with. Share yourself. If you're rich in an area, share it with someone who's poor in that area. Spiritually poor, materially poor, emotionally poor, socially poor. Think about those during the holidays that have no home to gather in or no table to sit at, to have Thanksgiving together with. Wow, it's quiet tonight. Maybe somebody's gonna invite us over this year. (laughs) I'm just kidding. That was the coffee. So verse 10 and 11 uh, continues here. Paul does it again. He says, I give my opinion in this matter. Here he goes again. For this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, and not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. So he's talking about some spiritual advantages. He says in verse 11, but now finish doing it also, so that just as there was willingness to desire it, so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. Here we go. Let's see if anyone remembers this joke. You missed it. Poor Tim. You were taking notes, weren't you? You're a good man. So 
there's some powerful stuff here in verses 10 and 11. He gives his opinion, and he says, you know, because you guys were the first to do this, there again, it was the Gentile church, the Macedonian churches, they were the first ones willing to give. Not only were they willing, but they, were, they, were, they followed through on their willingness. This is important. As followers of Jesus Christ, we're to cease from dead works. Have you read about in Scripture where it talks about dead works? There's things we used to do before we were saved that now are worthless. They're dead works to us. Uh, we're to cease from dead works. Then we're to initiate and follow through on doing good works, amen? There's a shift that takes place in us when we're born again. And some of us don't notice it, but it happens naturally by the Holy Spirit. We cease from dead works, why? Because they don't appeal to us or satisfy us anymore, and we start doing good works that are spiritual, that produce fruit. That's a work of the Holy Spirit in us. So those good works uh, that we begin to do, they don't justify us or save us, but they are the proof of our conversion. They're the proof that we are saved, amen? Well, I'm saved, but you know I don't go to church, or I don't read the Bible, or I don't help anybody, and I'm just the same as I was before. There needs to be some evidence of our conversion. There needs to be some evidence of the authenticity that we were actually translated from one kingdom to the next. Works don't save us. They don't justify us. They don't get us favor in the sight of God. Well, I did a whole lot of stuff this month. God's really going to come through for me. No, salvation is a free gift. Jesus paid the price in full, amen? So it just proves that we are saved, that we're willing to do these good works and to cease from dead works. And Paul says, you guys have been the first ones to do it, and you've been doing it for over a year. And there again, he says, I give you my opinion in this matter. So it's not a thus saith the Lord. It's the decorated apostle speaking from his, you know, archive of wisdom here. The Apostle Paul saw it as a spiritual advantage that the Corinthians were the first to desire to give and that they began giving towards the plight of the Jerusalem church. Now, it's exciting to think that if we learn to be others-minded and get in tune with what the Holy Spirit is doing in the earth now, that we can be the spiritual initiators of things that God is doing in the earth. Did you catch any of that? That wasn't muddy, it was deep, so follow me, okay? When God's moving and we're, and, and, and we're the first ones to pay attention and to execute, that means we can initiate some of the things that God is doing in the generation right now. You know, a lot of people, they don't want to get involved. They step back. They want to see if it's going to work out. And then, you know, they come tag in. They, they jump on the bandwagon. Woo! You know, the team is winning this year. Everybody's got the hat on. I'm not interested in your hat when you just put it on. I'm interested when you wore it for seven seasons when the team stunk, okay? And it's the same thing with God. He sees that as our spiritual... You're a Mets fan. Take it easy over there. They they stunk since 69. Hang in there, John. Donna, just hug him. Hug him and... Okay. She's praying for him. But, but you see what I'm saying is that there has to be some conviction. There has to be some, you know, a track record of consistency. And this is what Paul is acknowledging here. This is a good thing that you guys were the first to get on board. And you know what? You, you initiated something. The other churches are involved now. But you were the first in and the first to execute. Verse 11 is basically saying finish what you start. 
Amen. This is an important principle here. But now finish doing it also so that just as there was a willingness to desire it, so there may be also the completion of it within your ability. Isn't verse 11 important? We have a lot of good starters in life. We have a lot of good starters in the kingdom. Maybe you're a good starter at the projects at home, but now they sit in your garage or your attic or your basement half done. (laughs) The half-dug garden, the half-built fence, half a bird feeder. The birds are still hungry. Finish what you start. When the Holy Spirit initiates something, it's not enough to go, yippee, let's do it, and then not do it. That's a problem in the kingdom of God, that we're we're flash out of the pan, we get excited, we get on board, and then we shrink back. Did we commit to a building project? Did we commit to missions? Did we say that, Brother Charles, we were going to give you some money monthly? (laughs) Some of you are slow tonight. Charles is looking for his monthly contributions. Did we forget about him? Now it got quiet again. This isn't even in my notes. This is free of charge. And yeah, that's God. But we've got to finish what we start. We've got to execute. It's not enough just to be willing to do it. We've actually got to do it. And that's what verse 11 is saying here. But now finish doing it also. So you're a good starter, that's good, but be a finisher as well, so that there may be also the completion of it by your ability. Being a finisher didn't make the list of spiritual strengths in verse 7. You know, faith and speaking and knowledge and earnestness and love, those were their spiritual strengths in verse 11 that we're going to look at here, but You know, we need to be finishers as well, and it's important. And however that applies to you, however that applies to me, let the Holy Spirit quicken it to us so we learn to finish what God has initiated in us. It's easy to get excited, but sometimes it's hard to finish and bring things to completion. But it's in the completion where the fruit is produced, and it's in the completion where maturity is produced. And we have to look at our lives and say, you know what, if I'm not a finisher, I'm probably immature, and I need to grow up a little bit in the Lord. Now that I have no friends left, let's go to verse 12. (laughs) For if the willingness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what a person doesn't have. This is, again, uh, you know, kind of rehashing the principle we looked at when we covered the first part of this message in, in eight here that, you know, uh, giving is according to our ability. If you don't have it, you know, the Lord understands it. He wants us to give out of what we have. He wants us to give out of our excess. He wants us to sometimes give sacrificially, but it's according to our ability. So the willingness is good, and it's a good thing to be willing, and it pleases the Lord, but if we don't have the natural means to do what's in our hearts, Uh, you know, God understands what's at our disposal. Now, we can say wild things like, I wish I could end world hunger, and I wish I could feed and clothe all the children, and I wish I could adopt every puppy that I see on TV during those holiday commercials where they're shivering outside, and, you know, and they play that sad music, and you're reaching for your wallet, and you're like, (laughs) two people just woke up. And, you know, we can only do according to what we have. God doesn't expect us to give what we don't have. But when he moves on our hearts, 
you know, many times we have it, but we've designated it for something else. God's done that to me a couple times. Every time I've given sacrificially when he's, uh, you know, he's moved me to do that. Let me tell you something. The blessing was all mine. The blessing that's attached to that, to the widow's two, two mites there. I mean, when you give all that you have, it's got to be God, though. It's got to be God because when we do it according to the Holy Spirit, there's a reward attached to it. If we do it because we got snookered by wolves who were trying to fleece us, there might not be a reward attached to it. There might just be a life lesson. So some subtle points here that are happening in verse 12. Use what you have for God. Most of us have more at our disposal than we realize. We often look at what we don't have, but you know what? The Lord's been teaching me over the years is to maximize what I have. Sometimes I've prayed, I need more of this, and I need more of that, and I need more help, and I need more people, and I need more, and God's like, use what you've got. And you know, I've learned to look around and go, wow, I got this, I got that, I got this, I'm not using it. We have to maximize what we have before. Sometimes we have to do that before he can increase us. So use what you've got for God, exercise your faith, and you'll please the Lord with your giving. Verse 13 through 15, I'm gonna bring this in for a landing here. For this is not for the relief of others and for your hardship. What he's saying here is like, we're not trying to fleece you guys until now you're poor and messed up and broken like the Jerusalem church. This is not to impoverish you. This is just because you have a little bit of excess right now and they have a little bit of lack. Let's transfer that so there's equity among the body of Christ. Now, this is what governments try to do and it's perverse. A government sees someone who's successful, so they fleece them and they give it to someone who's not successful, who maybe didn't work as hard and they try and play God. Some of the principles that work for God don't work for man because man is selfish and fallible and twisted. And if you look at how our tax money is spent and on the things it's spent on, you can go on a site to see what, our, what it's spent on. I don't encourage you to do it. You might have to up your antidepressants when you're done. But man never gets it right. They mess up everything, but God gets it right. And so God is saying, you know, uh, you know, it needs to be equitable in the body of Christ. And it's, it goes back to our being connected and interconnected. He's, he's saying, we're not trying to make you guys poor or make you in distress like Jerusalem. It's not for your hardship, but by way of equality. Verse 14, at this present time, your abundance. So these guys were all right in the Macedonia. They were blessed and they had all their needs met. Your abundance will serve as assistance for their need so that their abundance also may serve as assistance for your need so that there may be equality. It goes back to that principle. If I see my brother suffering or in lack and I have excess, I need to take care of my brothers and sisters in the Lord. And this is a, this is a body of Christ principle, amen? The giving we do to, to the lost and to evangelism and all that stuff, all of these things are separate. They're according to the moving of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. But here's what the principle that I want to leave you with as I close down. It's God's desire for us in the body of Christ to, to run the body of Christ like a family, not a franchise. If you're taking notes tonight, write them two Fs down, family and franchise. 
We're going to define those terms. A franchise may share its name and its menu with all the other stores that are under that logo, but they don't share the success of the location or the benefits or the profits with them. That's the way a franchise works. Let me give you an example. The McDonald's in LaGrange always got aligned. So they're doing really good. So the McDonald's in Dover calls up and say, hey, we heard you made a lot of money this month. Why don't you send some down to us? That don't work in a franchise. They don't share the profits. Why? Because they're under the same logo, but they're independent places and they, they're run by you know, different individuals for profit. And so it's a franchise. You can't run the church like it's a franchise. Oh, we're doing here great in LaGrange. We got everything we need. We got everything. But that church in Africa and the Gambia, man, they don't even have water. They don't have electricity. Oh, well, are you getting this? In the body of Christ, our excess, and God's not looking down, well, well you know, I, I guess, you know, it's your money, you know, you can keep, no, he's looking around going, you have abundance, they have lack, share, give, be sacrificial. The church is not a franchise, it's a family. And if we treat it like a franchise, I mean, we have this independent spirit in churches, especially non-denominational churches. We're interdependent. All the churches in Dutchess County that are preaching the gospel, we should respect their pastors. We should love them. We should encourage them. We should help them. We are one with every church that is advancing the kingdom of God. When they suffer, we suffer. When we have lack, when they have lack. And I want you to get out of that franchise mentality because that's what's in the church. Oh, well, this is our church and we have, you know, and, then, and, you know, and we, we're givers and we're blessed and we do this and we do that. You guys, what, you know? Oh, well, that's too bad. I mean, I know a lot of pastors that help small churches and herding churches and send musicians and send equipment and give. We've, we've given equipment and we've sent people. Sometimes we loan out some of our musicians to churches. We, some of the musicians are going, uh-oh. <laughs> you know, we've had a, two, we had a bunch of drummers, so you need a drummer, we're going to share a drummer with you. One time we didn't have enough bass players, so the, the River Church sent us a bass player. Why? Because we're not a franchise. We're a family. Amen, you got to get this. Our abundance should meet someone else's lack. In the West, we have that franchise mentality. God help us to see the body of Christ as a, you know, as a family throughout the world. The Corinthians could have said, you know what? You Jews have always treated us Gentiles like we were less than second-class citizens. You're on your own, but they didn't. And it showed that God had changed hearts. And the body of Christ transcended the worldly divisions that have been around for centuries. <clears throat> Verse 14 helps us to remember that sowing and reaping principles in the, the kingdom of God are in effect. Check out 14. It says, at this present time, your abundance will serve as assistance for their need so that their abundance also may serve as assistance for your needs. So you, when you have abundance, you sow. When you're in lack, you'll reap. Sowing and we, reaping works, amen? Sometimes we have nothing to reap because we've sowed nothing. If you, if you sow sparingly, you, you reap, right? It's just, that's the principle here. And I want you to see that in verse 14. Well, no one ever helps us. Well, who have, who have we helped? 
When I'm hurt, nobody comes to me. Do you come to others? And sometimes it's true. Sometimes you, you know, you're the type of person, you help everybody. You, you're a shoulder for everybody to cry on. You, you visit the, the sick and the hurting. And then when you're broken, hurting, and in lack, no one's around. That can be true at times too. But the thing is, God sees what we sow, and it's up to him when we reap what we need when we're really in need. So the sowing and reaping principle is there. These Macedonian Christians here in the Corinthian church is going to be blessed. They're sowing goodwill, and they're sowing finances. Um, Verse 15 illustrates this very principle. As it is written, the one who had gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. And so God takes care of the entire body, but he gives us the privilege of being part of that process. <clears throat> so that's all for tonight. Let's bow our heads. Let's think about what the Holy Spirit brought out of the text. and Let's thank the Lord for the word. Father, we thank you tonight for all these principles that are tucked in here that challenge us and stretch us and and call us out, Lord God, to not just be starters, but to be finishers, and not to just be self-satisfied and smug with our own uh, abundance, but to consider others that have lack, Father, especially those who are part of the family of God. Help us not to think of ourselves as an independent church, us against everyone. No, we're part of the body of Christ, the family of God. So, Lord, I pray tonight we would have a family attitude instead of a franchise attitude, that we'd care about the churches in Africa and China, that we care about the missionary efforts to reach the lost and the hurting and the hungry, and that, God, you would give us opportunities as you've given us opportunities to give and to hear your call and to follow through, Lord, that we would finish what we start, that we wouldn't forget about the projects we start or the missionaries we support or what the, the missionaries we send out, that we remember Charles to pray for him, to give, and to have all of these things on our heart, Lord, to enjoy the blessings that we have. And in our abundance as we sow, I pray that when we're in need, when we're hurting, when we're broken, when we have lack, that we would be able to reap. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.